Welcome to the first of our Nutritionist 2020. I'm Marianne Fezenden from AMTS, and we have an exciting group of people joining us this, this year. I can't wait for you to catch everybody. As a reminder, for those of you who are listening, our format is going to be to deliver a presentation that is pre-recorded at two times on the webinar day, and the presenter joins us at the end of each session to answer the questions from the listening audience. These nutritionists are, webinars are multinational. I have several co-hosts, depending on which you're listening to, that are delivering the presentations translated in their country's languages and or they field questions from their countrymen. This morning, I am glad to say I'm joined by Elena Bonfante of Italy, Vadim Bekchevnikov of Russia. I'm expecting Sean Lee from China, Marcelo Ramos from Brazil, and Paula Torillo this afternoon. Um, Paul, or Marcos Neves Pierre of Universidade Federal de Lavras in Brazil often sends us questions for the Portuguese audience. While some of the co-hosts may not be able to rebroadcast in their own language, their questions give an opportunity for consideration of viewpoints of concerns in different farming systems. Depending on how you are listening, you can submit queries through me or one of my attending co-hosts. Later, a complete recording of archived webinars, as well as the question and answer session for each, will be available on the AMTS website. For those of you who would listen to the presentations whilst driving, we have converted the videos to MP3 files that can be downloaded for offline listening. Those podcasts can be found at the Ag Model Systems website under the webinar tab or the resources tab. Our goal with the Nutritionist webinar series is to bring information about ruminant nutrition that is important to you. Sometimes these talks are about hot topics everyone is talking about, and sometimes the talks focus on issues we should be thinking and talking about. Sometimes our speakers are well-known researchers and expert, experts who are familiar with nearly, to nearly everyone in the field, and sometimes our speakers are new and yet, not yet well-known. Our speaker this month ticks a couple of those boxes. Jonas D'Souza is a technical service manager for Purdue Agribusiness Animal Nutrition, focusing his work on fatty acid nutrition. He grew up in Chapico, South Brazil, and receives his, received his BS degree in animal science from Santa Carina State University in 2011. During his master's at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil, he focused his research on essential fatty acid supplementation on performance and metabolism of grazing cows. So those of you who are working in grazing systems, he probably can give you some answers. Um, with his background in lipid metabolism, he expanded on his expertise while at Michigan State University under the guidance of Dr. Adam Locke, where he examined the impact of altering the dietary ratio of fatty acids on performance and metabolism of dairy cows. He received his PhD degree in animal science from Michigan State University in 2018. Jonas presently serves as technical services manager for Purdue Ag Agribusinesses, one of our sponsors. His topic today is fatty acid nutrition during the transition period. So please now enjoy Jonas's presentation. Remember to jot any questions you have during the presentation and type them in the Q&A window or the chat window. We'll have an answer 
We'll have an opportunity for Jonas to answer these questions after the presentations. And right now, I am going to switch over to our pre-recorded presentation. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonas D'Souza, uh, and today I'll be talking a little bit about fatty acid nutrition during um, the transition period. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Marianne and AMTS for inviting me um, to give this talk about this topic. So fatty acid nutrition is one of my areas of expertise. And we're talking a little bit about how we evaluate different strategies, what uh, is the main results in, in terms of different fatty acids, what they do uh, when we add those fatty acids in the diet, um, and, and why, did, why we should, you know, it's important to focus during the transition period. So to get started, start, uh, what, what is the transition period? What's the definition? Um, usually we define uh, the transition period, um, that period between 21 days or three weeks pre-calving to, to three weeks post-calving uh, in, in, in a dairy cow. So there's a lot of physiological and metabolic changes that happen during this time. Um, and, and one of the main changes that happen after calving uh, around this period is, is the, the uh, huge demand um, or nutrients that increase during this period. So if we compare, here's an example, if we compare a 30 kilogram cow, you know, um, uh, when she was, when, when that cow is milking at the beginning of lactation versus pregnancy, there's about three times an increase in the glucose requirement, uh, twice as much amino acids, and four and a half times uh, fatty acids. So of course, we know that, that what happened during this period because this increase in demand for, for not, ener not only energy, amino acids, and minerals is the cows enters in a negative nutrient balance. It's not only a negative energy balance, but lately we've seen more research in, on, on, on the effects of other um, dietary components also being uh, important uh, during this period. So because of this increase in demand, especially uh, after calving, you know, the cows usually mobilize reserves, lose condition at the beginning of lactation to try to uh, accommodate this uh, metabolic situation. Uh, when that mobilization of, of uh, body reserves is extreme and due to other challenges that these cows may have during early lactation, this could result in situations of increasing inflammation and oxidative stress that, that could affect lactation performance. So that's why there is a lot of focus on this period because basically that can determine um, the success um, of, of that lactation curve uh, based on what we do at, at that transition period. Um, since if we talk about uh, nutrients and, and energy and fat being, being, uh, being fatty acids being essential nutrients in, in, in dairy cow diet, that is uh, concerns and a lot of questions about if we should be feeding fat or fatty acids at early um, lactation. And you know, the, 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 the thinking behind this is, you know, if cows are in a negative energy balance, why we don't dance it up the energy on the diet feeding more fat. Um, but if we look to the literature and you know most of the work done in, in late 80s and early 90s, they would, they would say uh, that perhaps we shouldn't be including fat at the beginning of lactation. 
um, for these cows. This is well summarized in this in this classic book, The Large Dairy Herd Management, in the chapter uh, that was, that was uh, prepared by Dr. Groomer, um, where he would point out that you know fat probably should be left out from the diet in, in early postpartum because most of the trials that he summarized have indicated uh, very little benefits of feeding fat um, at the beginning five to seven uh, weeks of lactation. And, and he um, identified that the major factor in that case was because uh, why uh, probably the cows are not responding to the supplemental fat is depression of feeding takes. So when they were feeding uh, this the fat in our lactation, usually feed intake drops, so the advantage of having uh, a more dense energy in the diet was not resulting in greater energy intake in the cows. Uh, well, uh, what I have to point out about this summary of the studies done by Grummer well, is that um, it, it, these studies were all feeding very high levels of fat, you know, uh, diets with four or five percent of added fat or, or added supplemental fat on the diet. Uh, and and we, we have to understand that sometimes the difference between the poison and the medicine is the dose. So uh, really I'll try to question that, you know, when, when we interpret in, in fat or fatty acid nutrition, making sure what's the level of feeding is important. And I think a lot of the, the initial trials that, that did not show benefit on supplement, supplementing fat was because um, of the high level of fat being fed. So one of the, the important points to mention when we talk about fatty acid metabolism is, uh, well, some people believe that we should not be feeding supplemental fat for cows in negative energy balance because that is already too much fat circulating. Uh, and you know that's that that's a, that's true. You know, during early lactation, during that transition period, is where you're going to have the highest uh, mobilization during the lactation cycle in a cow. You're going to have higher uh, non-sterified fatty acids or NIFA circulating. Um, but when we think about metabolism of fatty acids, we have to remember that the fat that we feed on the diet usually is absorbed. And we circulate as a, as a triglyceride in chylomicrus and VLDL in the body, which is quite different than what happens when the cow is mobilizing and has readily available fatty acids as NIFA. So, so we have to understand that the metabolism of these fatty acids are different uh, from what we feed on a diet and what is being mobilized by the cow. And, and again, I will make a point about, I don't think it's, is about having or not having fat, high, higher level fat on the diet or mobilizations. I think it's about the degree, you know, what's the degree uh, of that mobilization and what's the, um, the, the fat level that we are feeding. Um, and I think one of the biggest advan uh, uh, advancements that we have in terms of fatty acid nutrition um, is to that we should uh, probably stop talking about feeding fat to cows and being specific. And, and my presentation from this point is going to be focused about fatty acids and not fat. Um, it's because understanding that different fatty acids, they have um, different metabolic effects, it's important. So um, in a conventional diet or in most of the diets, I would say those five fatty acids that I listed 
uh, on the top here, uh, palmitic, steric, oleic, linoleic, and linolenic are the, the, the five major fatty acids that we have on the diet. Um, so I will mention, uh, I will focus my presentation, talk about their effects um, of feeding these fatty acids during the transition period. Uh, and, and I will add here EPA and EHA in this case, uh, because uh, during the transition period, there's, there's more uh, advantage of feeding some of these omega-3 fatty acids. But when we consider fat nutrition, we should be talking about what fatty acids are feeding, understanding that they're fat on the rumen in terms of biohydrogenation, uh, on the kinetics of digestion of other uh, dietary components like starch and fiber um, is not equal. Uh, that the digestibility of these fatty acids in the small intestine is not the same as well. Their effect on feeding takes not the same, and how they are partitioned into different um, um, to different organs is not the same. So you know you have fatty acids uh, uh, that will be partitioned to a great degree to 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 the mammary gland and be part of the milk fat. Other fatty acids that will be more used at the adipose tissue and overall how these these uh, fatty acids will be used in different tissues and, and organs will determine the, the effect that we will see, the response that we will see in the cow. So uh, I will summarize here some of the latest, latest research in, in, in fatty acid nutrition and I divided my presentation by uh, the effects of different fatty acids. As I said, I think it's important to focus on what that fatty acid is and what it can do. Um, and, and, and my summary here will be focused on, on different fatty acids. So to, to start with, I will start with supplements, when we supplement palmitic and steric acid together. So palmitic and steric are two, uh, probably the most important saturated fatty acids um, that we have uh, in the dairy cow diet and dairy cow metabolism. And I will, I will show you here um, four different um, trials with where uh, these supplements were feeding either pre-calving or post-calving or in combination, okay? So uh, this first experiment here, uh, it was done in, in Israel, and we had an objective here of feeding a uh, different combination of, of or fat, fatty acids here, either pre- or post-calving. So um, the control here would be or, or the blue bar here indicating on, on the graph will be the control diet that did not have any supplemental fat. And then they used two other strategies with the same palmitic hysteric uh, acid supplement here. Um, so they fed, the fat control was feeding uh, that fat pre-calving, so, so uh, previous to calving, and then after calving that those cows go into a control diet or uh, fat during pre and post calving. So, and, and they feed this supplement at about 230 grams per day, which was almost 1% of diet dry matter in these cows. Um, and, and they feed this for, um, uh, at the end of the gestation, about 256 days uh, of gestation until 21 days of lactation. So, so focus on that transition period. Okay. 
so when we look to the results here, what happened with feed intake on these cows is when we feed fat uh, or when we feed this particular uh, palmitic um, stearic acid supplement here, uh, there was a decrease in feed intake. Um, this is the DMI after Kevin. So, so what is showing here that that uh, that degree of decrease in feed intake also increase in when of the timing of supplementation. So when we feed um, that supplement uh, throughout the whole transition period, feed intake decreases to a greater degree than only feeding pre-cap. Uh, it's interesting that 3.5 fat crack milk went to the opposite direction of feed intake and those cows actually increase uh, fat crack milk in early lactation when we feed this palmitic um, stearic acid supplement. Uh, because of this decrease in feed intake and increase in fat crack milk, you probably can already realize what happened with the energy balance. So, you know, the idea that if I feed uh, palmitic and stearic acid supplement or, or fat in general to help with energy balance is, is really contradicted, uh, I would say. Um, and as you can see here, uh, as we feed that fat, that, that, that supplement, either uh, pre-calving or pre and post-calving, we actually uh, put those cows in a more negative energy balance because um, they increase the, the fat cracking milk to a greater extent than, and, and decrease DMI in, in this trial. Um, NIFA is a measurement of, of, of uh, body fat mobilization. I think it's a little bit tricky to interpret NIFA uh, when we're feeding fat because some of the NIFA can come from, from the metabolism of, of that fat that we fed on the diet. Uh, but overall, um, the NIFA increase, which is in agreement more or less of what happened with energy balance here. So the next study is, is again, a palmitic stearic acid supplement fed only on early lactation here. Uh, so this is not pre-calving, it's only post-calving. So they start feeding when the cows calved and fed about a higher level than the previous study, about 2.3% of, of dietary matter and feed for a longer period. They fed for the first six weeks of lactation. Um, which is interesting for me in this study is that they saw this uh, treatment by time interaction and that happened until about uh, four weeks, what happened is feed intake, similar to the previous study, was lower for that, that palmitic uh, steric acid group um, until about four weeks of lactation. Um, so this would come, this would agree with some of the earliest research suggesting, well, perhaps we should be looking of timing of supplementation as well. So, so this brings up um, an, another point about when we should be introducing these supplements on the diet. Um, this, of course, was a higher level than the previous study, and this is a study done in Cornell, um, and did not show too much benefit of feeding uh, that type of supplement at the beginning of lactation. Uh, this is a study that was done uh, in California. It was, it was a similar uh, study from the, pre the, the first one that I showed where they fed pre-calving uh, up to post-calving. The difference here is the post-calving was only until 10 days of lactation. Um, here, um, of course, the, these diets from these three studies are different. And that's one of the points to try to get 
studies across different uh, dietary conditions first you have a better reading of what's happening in their different basal diets um, what they observed here is an increase in prepartum uh, uh, intake but not postpartum intake and in this case they did not observe any effect on milk or, or, or fat and with that also no changes in, in, in body uh, conditioning score at the beginning of lactation, so no statistical differences, uh, no differences as well in MIFA, and they they, they were able to do liver biopsies and measure uh, hepatic triglyceride concentration, and also did not observe differences here uh, uh, when when feeding or not feeding um, this this type of supplement and. If you look to the feeding rate here, it was similar to the feeding rate from the first trial that I showed you. And finally, my fourth study here, uh, again with a palmitic stearic acid supplement in early lactation. This was done in Michigan State. This is the uh, probably the, the latest paper that we have with this type of supplement in early lactation. Um, the idea here was not only feeding uh, not feeding 0% fat or feeding 2% of the supplement um, after calving for the first 29 days of lactation, but also uh, evaluating that under different forage and EDF levels. So they have um, basically a factorial arrangement here uh, where they feed or not fat with uh, 20 or 26% of forage and EDF um, on the diet. Which is interesting for me about this study is uh, that there is an interaction between the forage level and the supplementation uh, or, or the, this, fat, this particular fatty acid supplementation here uh, at the early lactation. So, uh, what they observe if we look to feed intake here, they, they, they tend to observe an increase on feed intake uh, on those cows fat fat. Um, fed this type of supplement, uh, but that was not um, completely, uh, but a decrease actually in, in, in the milk yield. So when we look where that energy went, they, they're tending to eat more and milk production is going down, is they, these cows lose a less condition and improve energy balance uh, in, in early lactation. So that's, that's the overall response observed in the study, but that was actually dependent on the level of forage. So if we look here to the, to the gray continuous line here, it's gonna be the 20% forage and EDF with 2% of fatty acid group. As we can see, that group tend to have higher intake uh, and it was the group that lose less condition at the beginning of lactation and had a better energy balance but that was accomplished because the cows had a much lower milk production. So if we look here by when these cows are peaking here, uh, and this, as I said, this experiment was feeding, feeding these supplements into 29 days um, in milk, and after that, um, putting these cows in a, common, uh, in a common carryover diet, so all the cows received the same diet. Uh, and as we can see here, that is about 10 kilograms difference between the, the, the group that um, receive 20% of forage and they have 2% of this supplement and the group that received 20% of forage and they have without 
at supplement, meaning that the improvement that these cows had in terms of energy balance and body condition was at expense of milk production. So in summary, I would say that when we consider these palmitic steric acid supplements and show four different trials here, that is an inconsistent response uh, about their effects uh, during our lactation or pre-cabin and post-cabin. Um, I would say that the, the idea that we are feeding fat to improve energy balance is really not uh, validated by, by these, the research. You know, most of the studies did not observe an advantage. It's actually the only study that I showed from this four, the last one, as I said, was at the expense of milk. Um, which is important for us to consider is, you know, I, I gave four different uh, examples here with very different dietary conditions, and that is potential interaction with other dietary factors. That's probably why, as well, we see some of this inconsistent on the response. And, and this is a factor that I think we should do, uh, try to understand better in terms of, of research, you know, what interacts with that fatty acid supplementation strategy. Another point is production level. We've seen lately uh, that in some recent research shown that the production level is important when we are evaluating different fat supplements. Um, and, and we should take that into consideration as well here. So the next group that we'll talk about in terms of fatty acid is palmitic acid. So specifically in US, they get very popular in the last few years. Uh, especially because, you know, since in the U.S. mostly um, we are paid based on the yield of components um, and the yield of butterfat increase, price for paid for butterfat increase in the last five years. Um, and, and these supplements, they, they are very popular for that, right? They become popular for that. So there was a lot of research done in the last 10 years with these palmitic acid supplements. Uh, with their, their major uh, response that, that is very consistent across the studies is increases in milk fat. And this was summarized here, um, what we did a few years ago, this increase in milk fat um, seems to be independent of the level of production. So, so across a wide production level, we've seen about the same production response when, or, or milk fat yield response when we're feeding these palmitic acid supplements. And, because of the increase in milk fat, the major, uh, the major response is an increase in fat-correct milk and energy-correct milk. This is a summary that we did uh, when I was at Michigan State a few years ago, where, where I, I summarized 12 studies from uh, Dr. Adam Locke lab and, and Dr. Mike Allen, that were probably the two uh, first researchers to, to look at palmitic acid. Um, and there was a very consistent increase in energy to milk across studies here. Uh, and I would like to point out these are all in post-peak cows, these are not preferred lactation cows. Uh, and, and of course, this, this gave us the, the, the curiosity to say, okay, what happens to our lactation cows? Do they respond the same or, or do they not? So there is very few research that actually, actually done of palmitic acid in our lactation cow. Uh, I'm trying to summarize here uh, what we know. Uh, this is um, one of the trials, and, and I have, and I don't consider these 
uh, upon Medicare acid supplementation trial because what the authors were trying to look here was comparing a glucogenic diet against a lipogenic diet in early lactation. So you can see that the levels of starch is tremendously different uh, between these, these two diets, um, also the, the total NDF. Um, but the way that they did this lipogenic diet was having a palmitic acid enriched supplement in this diet. So, uh, you, you know, as I said, we don't have too much research with palmitic acid, but this will give us an indication of what, what it does. Um, what they, they observed feeding this glucogenic versus a lipogenic diet was no effect on feed intake, uh, an increase or attendance for an increase in fat and protein correct milk here, no difference in body weight loss at the beginning of lactation, but when we look to some of the metabolic variables here, NIF and BHB were higher on the lipogenic diet, not to, I would say to a degree that started to be a concern, um, insulin was lower, that's probably more related with the, the starch level that the glucogenic diet had higher, especially on you know, the liver triglyceride that they measure is also higher on that um, lipogenic diet. So summary here, basically that increase in attendance for increasing energy tract milk on, on this lipogenic diet was lined up um, with the research that we have on cows receiving this type of supplement uh, post-peak, you know. Um, so because, because of this lack of research specifically palmitic acid, um, this, I'm gonna show you one of the research trials from my PhD work. Um, we, we looked to palmitic acid response. Uh, that was of course concerns because of the negative energy balance would, you know, adding a palmitic acid that, that potentially drives uh, milk fat yield would put cows in a more negative energy balance. Um, would, would we have any issues with feed intake in your lactation as, as some of the previous research with other types of fat have indicated? And would that, you know, be a risk for metabolic disease? So we, we did this trial in, uh, to look not only if we should be feeding that palmitic acid, but when should we introduce. So basically, we have cows on a controlled diet here that did not receive that supplemental fat or receiving a palmitic acid enriched supplement at one and a half percent of diet dry matter uh, at our lactation for the first 24, uh, 24 days of lactation. So, so from, from carrying to 24 days. So on the day 25th, we split those cows and cows that were in the, that control group, they either continues on that control group or we switch them to them to the palmitic acid group and, and, and the same with the palmitic acid. So basically uh, is a factor with, with timing of feeding here. So let's look to some of the results here. So uh, when we look feed intake, you know, feed intake was one of our concerns. Uh, that was basically here at the beginning of lactation. So feeding for those first 24 days of lactation did not affect feed intake. As you can see, feed intake increases by week here, but there was no difference between treatments. Um, when we look to milk yield, there was no difference on milk yield on that, uh, after calving period, you know, the first 24 days of lactation. Uh, although numerically here, the palmitic acid group is higher, there was no statistical difference. 
similarly, when we look to feed intake uh, on the what we call peak period here, so after those 24 days, uh, until 10 weeks of, of lactation, we also did not observe differences on feed intake. You see feed intake increase nicely here um, on these cows as lactation progress, uh, but we did see an increase on milk yield for, uh, for the cows that receive palmitic acid um, during that peak period. So here's, we did uh, see that the time manner um, or, or the time of introduction of that, that fat supplement was important. So when we feed that palmitic acid after that, those 24, first 24 days of lactation, we did see an increase uh, on milk production that we did not observe on the first three weeks. And regardless if we feed or not, you know, as you can see both, both groups here um, with the black bars uh, here, they, they, they respond the same, you know, if we feed or not um, in, uh, in the first 24 days did not make a difference on the response um, after that. So fat yield, uh, we observe a consistent uh, response on fat yield here both in both periods, both feeding the first 24 days of lactation and, and feeding after those 24 days um, of lactation. And as you can see, the magnitude of response um, was about the same. So, so uh, across the period here, but when we consider uh, comparing to the studies that we did uh, with cows at postpartum, the increase in fat yield was about twice as much than what usually we observe uh, with the feeding, feeding these supplements uh, uh, during, during post-peak post period, I would say, in a postpartum post period, sorry. Um, and of course, because of this increase in, in fat yield, uh, we did see a nice response on energy-correct milk. So again, this was consistent uh, throughout the supplementation period. So we saw that increase in energy-correct milk in both um, the, 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 the first 24 days of lactation and also um, after those 24 days of lactation. So the increase in both fat and edge-correct milk was consistent um, across the timing here. Uh, one interesting factor here, one of, one of the, the negative consequences of feeding this palmitic acid was um, an increase in body weight loss at the beginning of lactation. So as, as, as I showed before, we didn't see an effect on intake. There was this huge increase in edge-correct milk but partially that increase in fat and incorrect milk uh, on the first 24 days of lactation was because cows did lose more condition at the beginning um, of, of lactation. So as you can see here, the first 24 days is where we see um, a greater body weight loss uh, for that palmitic acid group. There was no difference after those 24 days. So really, this indicates to us that, you know, it's important to consider the timing to understand what it does in terms of outputs. So it only happened on the beginning of lactation, but, but partially that increase in energy milk was because the cows mobilize more body fat or more reserves at early uh, lactation. Uh, that is some, some, when we look to, to the metabolites here, we did see lower plasma insulin 
um, higher levels of NIFA and BHB for the cows that, that receive or were fed with palmitic acid here. Uh, although these levels here, you know, if you can see some of the benchmarks, um, they, they are modest increases, but they, they, um, they complement some of the data showing that the cows lose more condition at the beginning um, of lactation. And when we think about energy, right, uh, when we feed more palmitic acid, what happens is that milk energy output increase and that did not help with energy balance. You know, it's actually put the cows in a, in a more negative energy balance state. Uh, and as I said, that happened mainly at those first three weeks of lactation. So for palmitic acid, I would say that, yeah, we did see an increase in enetrect milk, a very good response in enetrect correct milk. Usually uh, the response is twice, it can be, you know, twice as much the response that we see in post-peak cows with no effect on feed intake. But partially this, this increase in enetrect milk is because cows lose more condition uh, at the beginning of lactation. Uh, if that, we, we haven't done any, any, any uh, work with reproduction here to, to see if that has any, uh, we know that cows that lose condition usually have uh, problems or, or, more, or more likely to have problems associated with reproduction. We didn't measure at this study. Uh, I think this should be uh, so, something interesting to, to be measuring future uh, trials here. Um, but we also have to consider that the magnitude of the body weight loss, um, it was, it was, although it caused lose more condition, it was not a big um, body weight loss. You know, you can, you can argue of, of, of how much the cows lose here if, if matters or not on the, those first 24 days of lactation. And again, for most of the production response, we did not see an interaction here, but it's important to consider when we are feeding these supplements to these cows. Okay, so now I will uh, talk a little bit about palmitic, but uh, together with oleic acid supplementation. And this has been one of the, I would say, new lines of research uh, lately. Uh, there is a lot of interest on this, uh, on, on, on oleic acid because of its metabolic effect. Uh, when we started doing some of our work, uh, when I was at Michigan State, um, we did see that, you know, this is unpublished data, but uh, cows tended to partition more uh, energy towards milk when we feed palmitic acid. There was this nice relationship here that, that we did. And was interesting at the same time when we're plotting different fatty acids from a data set that we have, that oleic acid uh, had the opposite effect in terms of partition more nutrient to reserves. So that gives an indication to say, okay, perhaps we shouldn't be feeding, uh, perhaps we should be feeding these, these two fatty acids in combination, um, omelic and oleic, um, to these um, uh, fresh cows if the objective is to driving, you know, um, some energy to milk, but also keeping condition in the cows. Um, that was some of the, our previous work in post-peak cows showing a positive relationship between changing body weight and the content of oleic acid and adipose tissue, and also between insulin and this, this change in the adipose tissue um, levels of oleic acid. So, so this led us to, to 
the hypothesis that you know perhaps feeding combining these two fatty acids would uh, in our lactation would be um, a better strategy. So we did uh, a trial to actually evaluate uh, these 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 uh, different these two different fatty acids and, and, and the ratio or the combination between them. So this is a trial we did. Uh, in, in this trial here, we only fed cows for the first 24 days of lactation with a, with a fat supplement, a fatty acid supplement. Um, after those 24 days, we put the cows in, in the same carryover diet. So the cows received the same carryover diet. So they received four different diets here. Control diet, no supplemental fat. What a 80-10 is, 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 a, is a supplement that delivers 80% palmitic, 10% of oleic. The, ten, the remain 10% are other uh, fatty acids or you know, the other fatty acids, um, you know, uh, steric, um, linoleic, so a little bit of, of, of each of the other fatty acids. Um, the 720 was we increased 10, 10 units of oleic, dropping 10 units of palmitic, and 630, um, we, we increased the other 10 units here uh, on oleic, dropping another 10 units. So let's look what happened in the cows here. So similar to the uh, previous study, so that 80-10 is very close to a high palmitic or, or most of the palmitic acid supplements or palmitic acid enriched supplements in the market. So you observe a very similar response uh, from what happened on the, on the study that I showed uh, uh, previously. Um, we did not observe changes on feed intake uh, we did see a, 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 about five kilograms in, increase on energy track milk here, but the cows did lose more condition as well, very similar to what happened to that uh, first study that we did. But what was interesting here, and as we increased the level of the lake acid to, to 20% or 30%, dropping uh, palmitic acid in the supplemental fat, um, we did see a tendency for the cows eating more uh, uh, during that early lactation period. Um, by the second week, we did not see differences on energetic milk. Really, the differences were at that first week. So, so there was a similar increase in energetic milk, and the cows did not lose extra condition. So, if we get the 630 here, you know, we had the highest intake. They they were as, as high as the other two treatments in, in energy tract milk and did not lose extra condition uh, in early lactation. So this was really exciting for us, showing, okay, uh, per, perhaps this is uh, more likely to, to result in success during the transition period as a feeding strategy uh, using combinations between palmitic and lake as, as, as the two major fatty acids here on, on our fat lines. Um, when we look to NIFA, the, 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 the NIFA follows more or less the same, uh, what we observe with body uh, weight on these cows here, NIFA was higher in the cows on 80, 10 lower uh, on, on, on 630. Uh, the HB kind of follow the same, uh, a different, uh, an opposite pattern actually, you know, we see higher BHB on the cows on 6.30 and also higher uh, insulin. So the insulin is, a, is an interesting uh, effect here. We, we do believe that 
partially the effects that the oleic has, acid has in our lactation is mediated by this effect um, um, in insulin metabolism. Now we'll explore a little bit more on that. Okay. Um, after those, those first 24 days, we put all cows on the same diet, they received the same diet here. Um, and when, what we see here was an, in, an increase, um, it was a carryover effect actually. So when we stopped feeding fat, uh, that was still uh, a, a response for those three groups that received one, one of the three fatty acid supplemented strategies. Here showing to us that really, you know, we should be considering feeding fat on those first 24 days because the, that has a carryover effect uh, on energy correct milk, um, at least until the, those first 10 weeks where we measure that. And body weight, uh, kind of specifically on that 80-10 start to recovering after we take that out from, 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 the, from the diet. Um, uh, this is an uh, unpublished trial that was uh, just finished at MSU uh, and, and is also this focus only on the, on the 630 or 60% palmitic, 30% lake, uh, but also consider when we are feeding this, this supplement. Um, it is interesting here that they observed about the same response to manufactured milk uh, on those first 24 days of lactation and then they also look to timing, you know, if it was only from those first 24 days or if you should feed for the first 10 weeks. And, and as we can see here, uh, the response seems to be better. This, this fast, fast group here, when we feed throughout those first 10, um, 10 weeks of, of lactation. So kind of confirming the first, this uh, previous study that I showed you that the 630 uh, had an advantage of increasing energy for milk. No, I'm not showing here, but there was no difference in, in body weight loss as well uh, during this period. So while oleic acid, you know, as I said, uh, is really the oleic acid when you're feeding, are you sure that's oleic acid or not? So this is an also uh, a trial that, that was finished at MSU, Michigan State, looking to oleic acid in fresh cows. And to make sure that these oleic acid, what they did here is that they abomasally infused oleic acid at 60 grams per day for the first 15 days of lactation. And they looked to adipose tissue um, to do some measurements to see what, what was the effect of oleic acid into the adipose tissue. So very interesting data here. Uh, this is also unpublished data. This is coming from both Dr. Locke and Dr. Contreras lab um, is interesting here. So they did a biopsy pre-partum in 14 days. As I said, they start to infuse and the first day or a calving and went for 15 days. Then so they did two biopsies, one at day six and one at day 12. It's interesting here uh, looking to the glycerol release. So this is if you have more glycerol release, it means that you have more uh, body mobilization in that post tissue so you have more fat uh, more lipolysis happening in that post tissue um, and as we can see here oleic acid uh, reduce so the infusion of oleic acid reduce um, that mobilization in the adipose tissue in our lactation and why is probably doing that is because this is affecting insulin so 
they did this, this test to measure insulin sensitivity on the adipose tissue and saw that both at six and 12 days, there is an improvement on insulin sensitivity of the adipose tissue from the cows that were infused with folic acid. So the, this is probably what is um, associated with this, to this response that we observe in feeding trials. So lake acid may have an effect on insulin sensitivity and that's probably why we see this response of cows eating more at oral lactation and also respond better in terms of production. So I would say that in summary, we, what we observed with the palmetic or the, the, the recent research of palmetic and lake is an increase in NH-ranked milk, uh, re reducing some of this body weight loss at the beginning of lactation. And probably this is driving by this effect on insulin sensitivity that happens. On, um, on adipose tissue. So finally, uh, I'll just touch briefly on omega fatty acids here. Uh, um, they also are, are you know, a popular strategy that you can use. Uh, I would say the, the biggest benefits that we, we, we see is when we vary ratio, the ratio between, between omega-6 and omega-3 uh, in our lactation's effects on production and reproduction. So this is a study coming from from Florida, where they, they what they did here was altering the ratio between omega-6 to omega-3. So the four, the R4, R5, and R6 is the ratio. So so as uh, the R4 is, has more um, um, omega-3 in relationship to to omega-6 here. As you can see here, there is a positive effect when we do that. Uh, these treatment diets were fed. Um, from 14 days um, um, of lactation here. And as you can see, there was a positive effect on feed intake and a positive effect on fat correct milk in this cow. So kind of a similar effect, the omega-3 from the oleic acid from the work done at, at Michigan State, you know, where the key is uh, changes in metabolism that result in changes in feed intake would result in either improvements in milk or uh, energy balance in these cows. Um, another study here coming from Florida showing uh, different strategies of feeding uh, omega-6 and omega-3 pre and post calving. So basically they had a, a factorial design here, either feeding uh, calcium salt of PFAD, you know, as, as you look to the composition here, lake, lake and palmitic is major fatty acid that supplement or uh, safflower oil source um, of omega uh, omega six in this case, um, and after calving, either that using that that PO as a control diet or feeding an omega three source with fish oil, uh, which is interesting here is that um, as as we look is feeding um, EPA and DHA through that fish oil um, after calving decreased pregnancy loss. And, and, and really, this seems to be, the effect seems to be better if the cows receive an omega-6 pre-calving. So the, here, the better strategy was feeding omega-6, that's usually pro-inflammatory fatty acids pre-calving, -pre and omega-3s, that's a, a non-inflammatory fatty acid uh, post-calving. And similar, uh, here, another study coming from the same group, showing benefits, you know, those first two trials were done feeding a supplement as a calcium salt. Here's feeding um, 
an algae product and, and they also see benefits um, where in terms, in terms of milk production response and pregnancy rates um, when feeding that, that DHA, that, that omega-3 fatty acids. So in, in a really briefly summary, omega-3 seems to be a better when supplemented during early lactation. And I would say most of the benefits is when that increased uh, intake. Um, changing that omega-6 and omega-3 can result, can, can result in benefits in reproduction, you know, more omega-6 pre-calving, more omega-3 post-calving, um, and uh, really show benefits on doing that. Uh, and I think the, the, the question is, is how can we combine these with other fatty acid strategies? How can we, and I think this is probably one of the future research lines, is how can we use uh, and, and complement the effects of omega-3, for example, with omega with folate, steric, with other fatty acids as well. So I, I hope most of my presentation, what I try to focus was saying that when you're feeding fat or fat or fatty acids, in this case, they are much more than calories. You shouldn't be uh, so concerned, you know, in terms of you're feeding fat for energy. No, you need to understand the specific effects that different fatty acids will have. And I hope I show that you know, different fatty acids will result in different uh, response in terms of milk and milk components, in condition, and reproduction health. So it's about understanding what you're feeding, what fatty acids you're feeding, and, and understanding that they're not only calories, that they change uh, metabolism, and that that's probably more important that changing metabolism is actually calories of the fatty acid. Um, and as a final consideration, I would say that um, I, I do believe that fatty acids should be considered in diets for transition cows. Um, you need to understand what fatty acids are you feeding, what their effects. Um, and when you're designing your nutrition products, including or not, uh, you, you should include the fatty acid to reach a specific goal or specific objective. So that's why it's important to consider the fatty acid effect and not the fat effect, okay? And I would say that it's, that is, it's important when you look to the research is looking to what individual fatty acids do, what commercial supplements can bring those, those fatty acids, and that production performance it has to take into consideration when that fat was fed, what production level uh, in different diets. And of course, there is tangible factors that we cannot measure and that becomes complicated a little bit more complicated in our decision but they are also important you know body weight condition uh and reproduction also should be considering uh should be considered when when you're evaluating these 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 fatty acids here so i'd like to thank you for the time thank you um uh, the, the mts for the opportunity here and and i i'm leaving here two two of my emails if anyone has any specific uh, questions, and I'll be happy to answer the questions now. Thank you, Jonas. Before we start with questions, I will introduce our next month's speaker, Dr. Jesse Golf from Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine, where one of his areas of focus was preventing milk fever in dairy cows. He became a professor emeritus in 2019, so he now works on his own to develop research ideas into commercial products for man and animal. Jesse's talk next month will be an update on strategies to limit hypoglycemia in fresh cows on farms.
As with this webinar, there will be two opportunities to join. Keep in mind the United States is switching to daylight savings time. Does not affect our nine o'clock webinar, but our webinars will move to 6 p.m. for the remainder of the season, excepting November. So again, we'll be running our webinars at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time next month. As you know, these webinars take a lot of work and cooperation. The webinars are organized and produced by AMTS USA and Global. Our longtime collaborator is Paula Torillo of, of IFINA, who hosts the series as El Webinar del Nutricionista. She receives support from Guermo Lehman, Technal, Rock River Laboratory, Bioterre, and Concar. She has the excellent transla translation skills of Paula Alaniz backing her up in the Spanish language webinar. We also thank our AMTS distributors. In Italy, Elena Bonfante is terrific about joining us nearly every time. In China, we have Sean Lee from Ansi Tech. In Brazil, we have Marcelo Hens Ramos, director of 3R Lab. And in Russia, we have Vadim Bekchevnikov of Novolab. And I'm sorry I left out, Elena is with Dairy Innovations Italia. Our webinars are made better by wonderful questions submitted by Marcos Neves Piera of Universidade Federal de Lavras in Brazil. We are especially thankful for our generous sponsors who make it possible for us to get great speakers and manage the program. We thank our gold sponsor, Arm & Hammer Animal Health, makers of cattle feed ingredients that optimize dairy cow health, and the Canola Council of Canada. Learn more about feeding canola at canolamazing.com. Our silver sponsors are Ajinomoto Heartland, Superior Nutrition Through Amino Acids, makers of AgiPro-L, Dairyland Laboratories, and Virtus, makers of Strata with EPA, DHA, Omega-3s, and Prequil with Omega-6s. Our bronze sponsors are Dairy One Forage Laboratory, AminoMax, Adiseo, Purdue Agribusiness, PMI, and Soyclor. Each of these companies support education and research worldwide. We hope you consider them in your formulation decisions. I'm now going to open the, quest the floor up for questions. Um, I will unmute our our panelists um, so that we can say hello to you all. So I'm unmuting you all, just letting you have a warning. So hi, Elena. Hi, Jonas. Hi, Marianne. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jonas. All right. Hey. I, <laughs> I'm going to, um, Elena, if you have some questions, I'll let you lead off. If you are waiting for some questions, I have a few in um, the question and answer window that I can go with. Yeah, go ahead. I will do after you. Okay. All right. Um, our first question is, how do you prevent C18-1 from being biohydrogenated in the rumen? All right. Um, th thanks for, for the question here. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to start uh, acknowledging uh, a lot of these research come from, from MSU and from Michigan State and, and, and Dr. Locke. Dr. Adam Locke and, and Dr. Andres Contreras has done uh, very interesting research in the last few years um, on this area and, and generating a lot of these questions. So uh, specifically, uh, that, that's, that's, I would say, is the million dollar question, right? How, how we make that lake bypass. 
Um, and what's important to, to understand and is um, when you're feeding an unsaturated fatty acid, um, most of that unsaturated fatty acid in a normal condition will be biohydrogenated. And, and with a lake, it's not different. Um, what we did in some of our feeding trials was using uh, calcium salts, you know, calcium salt technology to, uh, to give a little extra protection to that lake. So um, if you ask me, I don't think, I don't think um, calcium salts are, you know, the best uh, protection mechanism that we have, but probably today are the most cost-effective way that we have uh, to give protection to that lake or that unsaturated fatty acid that we want to bypass. Um, the, the challenge will always be how much is really bypassed, right? Um, and, and, and I would say it varies. It varies according to the diet because what affects the stability in a salt, um, one of the major factors is, is, is weight, right? So, so diets where you have more challenge in keeping Roman pH or you see more swings in Roman pH, they probably will have a greater dissociation of that salt and that reduces uh, protection. Uh, but, but basically that's, that's the way um, we protect in some of our feeding trials. Uh, but that's, that's an area that deserves a, a, a future work is looking, okay, how, how can we develop these strategies where we, we bypass, um, bypass that, that lake acid. Okay, thank you. thank you so much, Jonas. Um, I have sort of a follow-up question from the same um, listener. How many grams of 18.1 is needed to be delivered post-ruminally post to have the effect you described on insulin, um, insulin response loss, at, uh, body condition loss, et cetera? Okay, body condition loss. Um, yeah, that's, as, as I said, it's, it's very hard when you're feeding to actually predict how many grams you're delivering, right? Um, and, and I think this is, uh, this is a great question because uh, it's, it's, it's not exactly how much you're feeding, right? But how much is actually reaching uh, the intestine to, to be absorbed. Um, so that's why some of the, we did, we did some, some infusion trials uh, and I would say, uh, oleic acid uh, has, has two major advantages, I would say, in terms of metabolism. Um, one is, is in relationship to fatty acid digestibility. Uh, I didn't talk to, uh, about fatty acid digestibility specifically here, but having oleic acid arriving to the intestine uh, improves fatty acid digestibility. And in a dose response uh, infusion trial, with 20 grams post-ruminum. Um, so, so infusing 20 grams, you already see some of those benefits in terms of digestibility. Uh, uh, in terms of, uh, in, in that, that study, they also measure insulin and about the, those 20 grams um, bypass or leg uh, was already enough to trigger a response in insulin. But that, that research was done uh, in cows during the, uh, the post-peak period or, or, or cows starting the trial about 100 days uh, in milk. Uh, in terms of early lactation cows, um, then we, when we did, when that trial that I showed, 
um, that was done infusing in, in your lactation, uh, the dose choosing there was 60 grams. So, so they infused 60 grams um, of oleic acid into the, the abomasum, and then you see that, that, that insulin response um, on the cows. So if I have today to, to, to give an answer to that, I'll give you a range. I believe it's between 30 and 60 grams on that fresh cow. And I think that's where we are working. Um, it's important to say that this is much lower than some of the levels that we're using in the past. And I think when you start going too high on some of these unsaturated fatty acids, uh, then you may have a negative effect on some, some signaling molecules and, and affect intake. So again, I think the dose response is important. And, and I think our best guess today uh, is, is, is between those 30 and 60 gram uh, uh, on that fresh cow um, in terms of, of delivering those third, between 30 and 60 gram of, of, of uh, fatty acids or, or of oleic acid specifically in the, in, the, in the intestine of that cow. Okay, thank you so much, Jonas. Um, I know that we have a lot of interest in just knowing um, what we should do. We have uh, we get questions regularly in terms of um, nutritionists who are having herds maybe going on quota, and they're looking they're seeking to increase their components and not necessarily their um, milk production. I have a couple questions yet in my window, but I'm going to switch over to Elena Bonfante. She said she has some questions in Italy. So Elena, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Marianne. So my question is relative with the first uh, question you had. Um, so you said that the um, salts, so the fat protected uh, with calcium, are not the best uh, choice, or not the best choice, the best protection uh, strategy. So which one do you consider the best one if you are not concerned about costs? Um, yeah, so commercially today we don't we don't have any source, but you know if you look back, that that is some some coding mechanism that that you could use to try to protect some some uh, differently some fatty acids. Uh, the problem is cost, right? Um, so some of the coding technologies uh, they they may be promising moving forward. Uh, as long as we can drop some of, some, some of the costs. So I think that is, that is interest for overall from the industry in some of these technologies, specifically when you talk about some of these essential fatty acids like omega-3s um, and, and, and maybe oleic acid as well. Um, as I said, I think, I think also salt is, is, is a good available technology that we have in today's, you know, uh, is a technology that I recommend people to use because of cost, uh, we just have to understand its limitations, right? We have to understand how we apply that in our nutritional program. Okay, very good. Uh, another question, if I may. Um, so about uh, fat supplementation in the dry period, uh, of course, probably, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, is it um, cost most cost effective to feed it uh, in the close-up period, if it's possible to split the two groups? and uh, uh, which is your maximum level of fat in diet that uh, you will reach? Um, okay, so yes, on the close-up period is where we, we tend to see more um, research and more positive results than feeding through the whole dry period. 
um, in terms of the, the, the level of supplementation, uh, as I said, I, I, I think every time we're talking about fat, we have to, 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 to start with your basal diet, right? What are the basal ingredients that you have available that will change according to, um, to the geographic region, country that you're working with? And, and then you use supplemental fat, that's why I like use the supplemental, because it should be strategically used to complement what you can achieve uh, on your basal diet. Um, and I think we learned in the last few years um, that uh, I would say moderate levels of supplemental fat between 1% and 2% of diet dry matter usually are the ones that give us a better return over investment. So if you have a basal diet with uh, a common basal diet between two and three percent of fatty acids, um, and then you have some other source of fat, like let's say safe source of fat like cottonseed, for example, you you may increase that level, and then you have a supplemental fat on top of that. So working most of the the diets that I like to work is, is around four and a half five percent of total fatty acids on the diet. But again, that depends on, on the availability of some of these other source of fat, um, some some of the conditions that 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 was that's feeding. You know what? In what exactly is your your major objective? But in terms of level, and I think, and I think that's what the the latest research is showing us with all the fatty acids that I, that I listed there: palmitic and stearic, with palmitic, with uh, palmitic and oleic. Um, the, the good response is when we usually work between one and and two percent of dietary matter. When we start to going over that, then then we, we tend not to see the same response. Okay, and uh, the last one. Uh, so here in Italy, for example, we have um, several sources of um, fatty acids from feed like uh, linseed, uh, soybean. Oil and so on. So, uh, should I be more confident to use those sources uh, in combination, maybe with protective fat, in the dry period? Uh, I would say uh, the classic academic response, right? It depends, um, and, and it depends. I don't know how how is the is the milk payment in Italy, and I'm sorry, I don't know that. But um, the, the the challenge the challenge when you start using free oils is then that level of feeding may reduce because when you have when you have free oil in the room and in soybean oil is a good example um, soybean oil is a source of omega-6 for example but what happens is that when that free oil is on the room and you have a, a, a higher level of that that can can be toxic to the to the roman microbes uh, the microbes do this process called biohydrogenation. That's basically they try to detoxify that fatty acid um, and, and they saturate that that unsaturated fatty acid to, through this process. Um, but that that depends on the level you're feeding. So you can have some negative consequences when you're feeding the free oil. Um, that is basically you know if if you're feeding and and you may be affecting negatively the rumen. And you may generate some of these trans fatty acids in the rumen, and those trans fatty acids will have a negative effect on milk fat synthesis. So, if you're in a 
in a market where you're paid by components or you receive some type of bonus by components using the free oil uh, may may not be the best option because of that. Yeah, That's why some. Yep. Yeah, I was wondering more on the dry period. You know? Oh, the dry period. Yeah. So so during the dry period, then then yeah, it, it would make sense uh, as long as we are not feeding a level that will uh, negative effect fiber and intake on those cows. But you mentioned, for example, linseed oil, you know, there's some sources of omega-3 um, that, that are natural that, that you could use uh, instead of using a supplement fat, right? So, so, so in those situations, yes, I agree with you. Thank you very much. Okay, thank, thank you, Elena, for so, such good questions. Um, I have a couple questions here. Um, the first one, you talk about the ratio of palmitic to oleic and um, the 60 to 30 of the fatty acids in supplementation, but do you have some insight on what this ratio in the total diet would look like? Um, as you answered in Elena's question, it, you know, so often it depends on what, you, what else you have in the diet. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so it, it depends a lot on, on what else you have in the diet, but in this case, most of our trials of the 630, we target one and a half percent of diet dry matter. So you can think that fat have a 30% oleic in a one and a half is about a half a point on the diet on your oleic acid when you're looking at dry matter days. So um, if you have a regular diet, a regular fresh diet between 0.5, 0 0.6% of oleic acid in, in the dry matter days, um, you're basically adding another 0 0.4, uh, 0 0.5, bringing that, that oleic acid close to 1% of the total diet. But, you know, remember that, that, that has, we have to take some of that in consideration is how much really of the oleic is, is bypassed as we discussed before. Uh, in terms of the palmetic, then we'll be more or less um, um, the, the double amount, right? So in a basal diet, really you, you, you don't have more than 0.3, of palmitic usually in a regular diet, unless you have some ingredients that will bring natural, naturally palmitic acid, like cotton, for example. But if you have between 0.4 to uh, percent, and you're adding that, you're adding about uh, 0.9 and 1 percent of palmitic uh, on that total diet. So, so bringing really that palmitic lake on your total diet to I'll say 1.3% in dry matter base of palmitic acid uh, and about 09 to 1% um, uh, of oleic acid. But again, this depends a lot on, on, on the dietary conditions that you have. And I think one thing that we have to do a better job um, is to understand what I mentioned uh, at one of uh, my summaries there is, is about interactions. Um, it's, it's, this is one thing that I think becomes very important is to understand is that an interaction when you add a specifically a specific supplement to what you already have on the diet and that's the part that we have to do more research in in understanding better those relationships uh, thank you jonas um just a, a tip for you jonas um most of the time your speech is very clear and very um well heard but occasionally i think you may be turning away from the mic and things get a little muffled so it might be hard for our listeners to okay thanks okay. um i have one more question and then if paula doesn't have anything to follow up 
um, we'll end our question period for this morning. Uh, what is your recommendation of fatty acids specific in terms of palmitic, oleic, and essential fatty acids, both during prepartum and postpartum, and for how many days postpartum? Sounds like you have a long answer in that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, is a, this is a tough one, right? Because uh, I, I would say involve, involve multiple studies here um, to kind of uh, think about an answer. Um, I would say that um, we, we have been very, uh, we have been very uh, uh, interested in, in, in varying, mainly the ratio between palmetic and oleic um, on, on, on during, during the, the lactation cycle. And, and I think they, they complement each other, palmetic and oleic. So uh, uh, as I showed, Omega really has what, what we would say like a BST type of effect, right? You drive nutrients towards the mammary gland, usually increase uh, fat yield uh, on those cows. So uh, specifically, uh, how, how do you apply that is you should have higher levels of, of palmetic acid, um, I would say after that first month of lactation. So if I have to do a, a, a cutoff, I would say after that first month of lactation um, is where you should start increasing your palmitic acid level uh, on the diet. I think on the first 30 days, that is benefits of combining the palmitic oleic, uh, that is benefits of, of having some omega fatty acids as well, omega-3 specifically on the diets. Um, I, I think in terms of pre-calving, um, we have to do some more work on that, but uh, the major benefits that we usually see in pre-calving are more benefits in terms of reproduction when we combine with other technology. But, but if there is ways that we can control some of that uh, transition period, uh, perhaps we don't need to be feeding uh, fatty acids pre-calving and, and really focus on, on post-calving. So, so I, I would say the first 30 days is really where you're looking more to oleic acids and very promising looking to some of the omega fatty acids they may, uh, omega-3 specifically, uh, may give you a nice response. And, and, and one thing that I'd like to point out is, is, is uh, on some of the trials that we did on 24 days of lactation and then we removed the supplemental fat, is that carryover effect. So the carryover is important because when you think about, about return over your investment, you have a carryover and you can drive the lactation side uh, curve up you usually have, have a positive response uh, going, going forward. Um, but those 30 days, I would say, would be where I would probably make a switch on my fatty acid ratio, which is not always uh, easy on a farm because you have farms where, where you're going to uh, have you know, a, a high group feeding for the first 60 days or um, you're going to have a fresh group where the cows stay too to three weeks and then they move. So, so taking into consideration what the farm conditions are, um, it's, it's important as well. And, and in most of the situations, we would have to choose one supplemental fat because you have one, um, one uh, diet being fed uh, throughout the whole lactation. But when, when we have these opportunities, I think using, using some of the knowledge on the ratios is important. And, and, and the oleic and omega-3s can, can probably give you the best answer 
um, together with palmitic at the beginning of lactation. Oh, thank you, Jonas. I have a, a very interesting, um, what might be our final question is, um, given the different requirements, um, are, do you, did you have an opportunity or have there been studies of the responses for that may differ between primaparis and multiparis? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, in, to be honest, in this, in this uh, work that we have done with palmetic and palmetic collate, we only use multiparis cows. So we haven't uh, used very some of those ratios in primaparis cows. Uh, there is some work going on now um, to try to see on the primary cows, um, which is interesting first lactation cows. And, and I did some work with palmitic acid in primary cows. Um, they they have a different nutrition, a different partition of nutrients because of the physiological state. So when we feed uh, palmitic acid for for multiparous and primary cows at the same time. Um, what we saw was that the, the first lactation cows, they respond less in milk, but they increase body weight change, even with palmitic acid. And that, doesn't, that didn't happen with the multiparous cows. They partitioned all that extra energy towards milk. There was no change in, in body weight. So definitely the physiological state plays a very important role. Uh, and, and the primary cows, the, the first lactations, they, they, they may respond differently. We, we haven't quantified yet on these ratios what is that response, but, um, but given some of the research with the palmitic, I would guess that they respond differently. And that may indicate that perhaps it's more important to focus on changing some of these ratios to, to multiparous cows and less to, to, to first lactations. Um, yeah. I wonder if a longer-term study might reveal that those um, primaparous cows that responded um, with greater body weight gain actually showed improved production in their second, second and third. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that would be that would be really interesting to do. Um, we we I, I'm not aware of anyone that actually did that, but but that's an important point, right? And when you're in farms and you see variation on your first lactation, so in terms of um, you know, you have farms where they will, they will have a, a, a first lactation cows more close to that 80-85% of mature body weight or others where you have 7%. So, so perhaps there is something uh, with fatty acids that can be done to help some of those, those farms to catch up, let's say, sooner. And perhaps, as, as, as Marian said, a, a good point would be, perhaps you're not going to pay that in first lactation, but but we'll show you a benefit on second or third. So, and, uh, yeah, did those studies only look at production? Did they also look at um, breeding back or you know, coming back into the, the reproductive aspects of it? Yeah, uh, I would say most of the reproduction work has been done with the omega fatty acids. Uh, um, with the other, we only have, you know, some of the metabolic indicators that we can do some, some, some suggestions of what perhaps happened with reproduction. But in terms of the research, yeah, the, the only really truly um, measurements of reproduction that, that we have um, is with like omega-3 and omega-6, and most of those studies come from Florida. Um, so even, you know, with palmitic acid, 
uh, is um, we I'm not aware of any study that actually look to reproduction per se. You know? And I think that's an important point too that 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 should be should be studied. Okay. Um, well, I think unless somebody messages something rather rapidly, we are going to say that we're good for the morning. Um, thank you so much, Jonas and, and Elena. Thank you for joining us. We had Vadim earlier, but he left before he asked any questions. So um, thank you, everybody who attended. Uh, if you missed anything or want to hear more questions, tune in in the afternoon, um, right around six o'clock, if you um, have more questions you want to ask. I have an, a text from Marcelo that says he has lots of questions, but it's starting to rain now. So um, I'm not sure entirely what that means. Marcelo, are you still with us? He is not. So he had to go. So he has questions. Anyway, um, Paula, would you like to go ahead with your questions first? I, I'm here. Yes. All right. Go ahead, Paula. I've got a voice message from Marcelo that I'll listen to while you start speaking. Thank you very much, Jonas. It was a very nice presentation. We have a lot of questions from here. So I will start with, uh, with the first one. Which are the advantages and disadvantages of using calcium soaps, soaps in, in pre-fresh cows? So advantages and disadvantages of calcium soaps, pre-fresh cows. Yes. Uh, so uh, the, the first thing we have to understand is that Calcium salts is a technology, right? So, um, calcium, you can make calcium salts from several different sources, from several, several different raw materials, okay? So, uh, it's, it's hard to put them all in one group. So, basically, what calcium salt technology is, is was developed uh, in the early 80s um, to kind of uh, being a, a protection mechanism uh, of some unsaturated fatty acids in the rumen, right? So the most common brand probably that everyone uh, knows is calcium salts of PFAD, like the Megalac type of products. Um, so PFAD is, is a product from the palm oil, uh, but you can make calcium salts from several different products, uh, from several different raw materials, right? So, so across you know, my knowledge, you can have calcium salts of soybean oil, you can have calcium salts or fish oil, like some omega-3 type of products. You can have calcium salts of PFAD made from palm oil. So I would say to understand the benefits or the advantage and disadvantage, you have to first ask yourself, um, what is the profile of that calcium salt? What fatty acids they bring to the table? Okay. So in some countries, and I'm from Brazil, um, I know you have like calcium salts of soybean oil, for example, right? Um, uh, soybean oil is an omega-6 fatty acid, but you may have some, so, some challenges of working with that uh, in terms of butter fat. So, so in terms of me giving a recommendation of raw for calcium salts is uh, the first, first thing you have to ask yourself about the calcium salt is what is the profile? what are the fatty acids in there, and then kind of in the summer of my presentation, looking to where those fatty acids are and what's their effects. Okay, Paula, do you want to keep going or shall I see yes. if Sean, Lee, or Vadim has questions? I, I can do another one. Okay, excellent, keep going. Okay. Yep. Do calcium soaps have any effects on follicles in the cow? 
uh, do calcium cells have. So, uh, yes, you, if you look to some of the research with calcium salts of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, some of the work that I showed uh, from, from Florida, for example, and, and some of other work that is done with calcium salts of, of omega-6 and omega-3 sources, uh, that is positive effects on that. Um, uh, and, but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen with every calcium salt, right? So, as I said, if you have ordered a calcium salt of a different oil, it is not going to have the same effect. So, so uh, you can have positive effect on reproduction follicle response as long as uh, it's coming from, from a source with, with proven fatty acids, right? So, omega 6 and omega 3s. Uh, and specifically omega trees, they, they seem to have an effect, uh, a positive effect, um, and, and there is a lot of uh, work being done with omega-3, calcium salts of omega-3 fatty acids showing, showing benefits on that. Okay, Paula, um, shall I ask a couple questions so you can translate some, or do you want to keep going? No, 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 go on. Okay, all right. Um, I have a couple questions from um, Sean Lee in China. He said, what is the position of um, C18 supplement in dairy cow's diet? What's the position? Yes. Okay, so um, C18 is stearic acid, right? So uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you get in a normal diet, uh, on a dairy cow, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, if you're feeding forage, corn, soybean, canola, um, uh, grazing, uh, usually stearic acid is gonna be the major fatty acid that the cow will have available for absorption. It doesn't mean that's the major fatty acid that the cow will eat, but because of the rumen biohydrogenation process, um, those unsaturated fatty acids that you have on corn, on forages, they will be mostly convert to stearic acid. Okay, so although stearic acid um, um, is, you know, the intake of stearic acid, and if you get an, a nice nutrition program, you know, like MTS, for example, and you can see the intake and estimate duodenal flow, you can see that that you have a very low intake of stearic acid, usually on a diet, but you have a lot uh, arriving to the intestine of the cow to be absorbed. So I would say stearic acid is an important fatty acid on the dairy cow diet. Um, I think my point in terms of the supplementation uh, is, is that um, usually you already have a lot of stearic acid. So, so, so perhaps that is room and the research is showing that to supplement some of the other fatty acids uh, on the diet and, and take advantage of some of the other fatty acids. My stearic acid is a pretty important fatty acid. Okay, thank you. Um, a second question from Sean Lee. How much confidence do you have in the positive effects of the pro-inflammation uh, effect that omega-6 has prior to calving? Um, that's a good question. And if you, if you look, uh, I, I, I do think that most of the benefits is after calving with omega-3. 
but some of the work that was previously done in Florida uh, show advantages when, when or a better um, reproduction performance and, and better uh, and, and reducing many pregnancies lost if, if you combine an omega-6 to an omega-3. Uh, my point is you always have to consider in what conditions those scars usually are, right? So, so if you have cows that are managing well and transition well, they probably don't are, are in, a, in a good immune system type of response. Uh, you may not see that benefit. You may not need that, that fatty acid, but in more challenging conditions, that's when uh, usually you can see the benefit. Um, my, my, I, would, I would add on that as well, that when you talk about omega-6, um, my, my only concern is um, how much you're feeding, right? Don't, don't overfeed that as well. Um, because, because you can have some, some negative effects when you start feeding too much of omega-6 or unsaturated fatty acids in terms of feeding take. And, and what we want on that transition period especially is, is um, getting the maximum intake response that we can. Um, so I would say that the, the response is variable on the omega-6, uh, and I think that, that has to do with the fact that we will depend on where those cows are in each condition. Okay, terrific. Paula, do you want to do a couple questions? I still have more, but I want to give you a break in order to be able to do some translating later. Okay, yes. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, which products guarantee a specific percentage of fatty acids like palmitic and oleic or others? Uh, which product? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. I work for a company that sells that, right? Uh, I would say there's a lot of good companies in the market. Um, and, and, and I would say you have to look. Um, my, my recommendation would be go back to the companies that invest time and money on research. And you look back what they have. And then you can trace back on some of, the, of these um, uh, supplements. And then every, every company will guarantee a level of fatty acid, total fatty acid, um, in, 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 in a profile on there. And it's not a bad idea to get some of that supplement and get a, a sample analyzed for, for in, in some, some lab to make sure that you, you know, you're getting the profile that that, that company is guaranteeing. Uh, but my, my main recommendation is, is it would be that, you know, make sure that you're using a product, uh, if, you, if you're choosing to use a product from someone that invests time, money, and have research proven results. Um, and as I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of good companies that, that would have that. Um, so, so that would be my recommendation. Um, very, very gracefully handled, Jonas. <laughs> Go ahead, Paula. <laughs> okay. Um... Are all these fatty acids rumen protected? If so, do they have an interaction with other non-protected fatty acids of the diet, if it, even if they don't exceed 5% of dry matter? Wow, that's, that's, that's a wonderful question. Um, yes, uh, one thing that I talk about at the beginning of my presentation when I present palmitic and stearic acid, I talk about interactions with other dietary components. Uh, we did some research when I was at MSU and, and we have some research going on 
uh, look into to different dietary conditions. And, and yes, there is interactions between the fatty acid of a supplement and the fatty acid from my basal diet. And I'll give an example for like in US, we use a lot of whole cotton seed in diets, right? So depending on your level of cotton, uh, you get a good response in terms of butter fat and that response can be better or not depending on the other fatty acids that you manipulate on the diet. Um, and I think we need to do more of that work. Um, and, and I think you can have, you know, if you have a good source of, of, of yeah, I would say a safe fat like cotton or um, a good source of roasted beans, um, that is potential interactions and you should take an advantage of that because that, that the fat usually is cheaper, right? So we start with your basal diet, you have your cheaper fat, and then you supplement to complement your diet. Uh, and you ask about protection, right? So protection is a very, is a very um, hard topic because uh, for unsaturated fatty acids, you know, the main technology that we have on the market is calcium salts. And that protection mechanism will vary based on two uh, main, main things, right? The first one is what's the raw material. So, so for example, calcium salts of pound, they tend to be more uh, protected than calcium salts of unsaturated fatty acids like soy, for example. Uh, but the major factor that affects that protection or that dissociation of the salt is, is pH. So that's why it becomes very, very variable uh, because you know, if, you, if you're feeding cows and you have diet, in dietary conditions where uh, farms well-managed, feed, feed management is, is good and you don't see too much variation, slug feeding, uh, that rooming pH you know, uh, follows a normal pattern during the day, uh, that protection and using a salt, that protection of that salt is better. But if you have conditions where you have more variable feeding situations, uh, that protection reduces. And, and thinking about, you know, some of, some, some of you listening from Brazil or Argentina, where we have feeding system where sometimes we have, you know, you have a grazing condition and then you supplement a concentrate uh, in specific times of the day, uh, that usually generates as well swings or potentially can can, can, can generate uh, some of these this swings in rooming pH, and that's also affect the protection. Um, so, so giving a hard number in protection is complicated because of that. You know, it's, I know it's an academic response, but, but it depends. It depends on what conditions you are applying that. Um, uh, Paula, do you mind if I ask a few questions and then we'll come back to more of yours? Go on. Okay, very good. Um, I have another question from Sean Lee. He said, for high um, body condition transition cows, fat ones, any recommendations about using the fatty acids at different stages? Um, for example, close up, fresh, peak, post, post peak time, what would, what would be the most um, effective approach? Uh, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, I would say, well, if you're having over conditioned cows, we, we have to to try to fix that before, right? So trying to, trying to avoid that over conditioning late, late gestation. And, and, and then the main thing would be um, changing your starch level, but you also can manipulate your fatty acid profile. 
So in your lactation as a show, you know, you could use a combination, uh, probably driving some more lake on that cow. Palmetic is important if you want to, to keep uh, components high and you can add some of these this other omega-3 fatty acids. Um, and, and then when cows start to enter in a positive energy balance, um, you can reduce some of these unsaturated fatty acids. So, so my recommendation would be you can feed lazolake, perhaps taking advantage of palmetic or even ceric acid and, and try to use that as a, as a lactation progress. Specifically, palmetic acid is very interesting because in post-peak cows, we have very, very good data showing that, you know, it, it, it helps some partition nutrients to the membrane gland and helps reduce some of the overcommissioning. That is even some work that was done in Michigan State before I was there, and, and it's published uh, data um, where, you know, on, on late lactation cows, one nice alternative was, you know, you could feed more forage on your diet with palmetic acid, uh, would be better in terms of an interact milk and keeping and, and avoiding overconditioned cows than feeding a high starch diet. So you can, for, for example, reduce your, your starch and keep your energy um, increasing a palmetic acid, for example, feeding some more forage. Uh, so you, you should be varying. Um, I, if you have the opportunity, you should be feeding one fat supplement uh, throughout the whole lactation. Ideally, we should vary, and I think specifically, early lactation in post-peak cows, we could, that is some, some opportunities that we, we could do with the knowledge of the fatty acids that we know now. Thank you. That, that seems very well, well responded. Um, a question from Vadim. At what level of milk production would you recommend adding fatty acids? Uh, so that's, that's a tricky one as well, right? Um, and I think that depends on a couple of factors, right? I think it depends mainly on the economics. Um, so, so understanding your, your payment system, I know depending on the country, we have uh, participants here from different countries, but understanding, understanding how you got paid for, for your milk and what's the advantage uh, is, is, is the first, first factor uh, than, than production level. Um, production level becomes very important. We did, we did a couple trials with production level and, and you know, we have cows, um, if you look to some of our trials, between 25 kilograms um, to seven kilograms, right? And, and they, the cows respond to com different combinations of fatty acids, uh, which is interesting is that as production level increases, cows seems to respond better to palmetic and oleic than, than, than some of other fatty acids. Um, but I would say to you that, that um, I, I did some work back in Brazil with grazing cows and we got good responses in cows producing um, 20 to 25 kilograms as well. Um, so I think it, it depends a lot on the economics, you know, how you get paid, what's the price of that supplement to try to identify the response. Okay, thank, thank you so much. I have one final question in my window so far. Uh, actually, two. One is a comment. Um, Mike Hutchins says, great webinar. Will, the, will you be willing to make the, PDF, the presentation available as a PDF? Um, I think I asked you that, but I can't remember your response. Yes, yes. yes. I okay, so Mike, when we get this up as an archived webinar, I will have a link to the PDF that you can download. 
Um, the next question is, the palmitic and oleic acids used in your research, were they calcium salts? So, uh, the, 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 the research with high palmitic acid is not calcium salts. So, so it's, it's a prior technology. Basically, um, when you fractionate palm, you increase that concentration of palmitic, you can use a prior technology instead of, instead of using calcium salt. Uh, for unsaturated fatty acids, then yes, you need to use uh, some, something that will give some type of protection, and, and then we use calcium salt. Um, the last trial that I showed on the palmitic oleic blends there for fresh cows, um, that's 630, that is a supplement that uh, delivers that 630, 6% palmitic, 30% oleic as a full calcium salt. So it's a new supplement that's in the market. Um, so it, it depends on the trial here, but most of the oleic acid, yes, it was calcium salt. Uh, most of the palmitic was uh, april fatty acid. Okay, thank, thank you, Jonas. Um, Paula, I don't have more questions right now. Do you wanna take it away again? Yes, I have a lot of questions. I see. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm writing them down. Okay, um, one about calcium soaps. Do calcium soaps have any effect on estrogen and or progesterone in dairy cows? Um, estrogen or progesterone. Um, so again, if you look back to some of the work and I can send uh, to, to, to asking some of the, the papers here. Uh, when, when they look back, um, with calcium salts of omega-3, yes, that is a fact. Uh, but calcium salts of palm, no, that is no effect. Um, so again, it depends on the profile, right? So it depends on the profile. Um, and and that, is, that is some nice research that was done on that. Um, there is some papers published in Journal of Dairy Science. And I can I can share that those those um, those results right um, where where there's changes in, in progesterone and, and that were really related with that trial that I showed with the uh, reduction in pregnancy loss. Jonas, if you want to um, send links to those papers to me, when mm -hmm. I send out notice to everybody who's attended the webinar that the recording's ready, um, I can include those in the email. Okay, no, I can do that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Paula. <laughs> okay, and uh, just a few more about calcium soap. Uh, does calcium soap particle size affect its quality? Uh, another contradict topic. Um, I would say yes and no. Um, so I'll try to explain. Um, Yes, there is, there is some research showing that calcium salts um, particle size is important. Um, and, and, and that seems to be more important as the unsaturated fatty acid level increases. So uh, there is some, and I also can send a paper, the paper was published two years ago, looking to uh, calcium salt of an omega-3 source. And, and, and having a larger particle size uh, give, it, give some more protection uh, to that omega-3. So uh, for some of these unsaturated fatty acids that we try to keep uh, having a, a better protection, I think particle size becomes more important. 
uh, if it's a regular calcium cells of palm, I think that is less, we have less confidence that that really is important because palm, because of the bounding of the salt, um, uh, palm usually um, don't, we, we usually don't see the same, the same results, but a lot of these is also tested in vitro uh, where I have sometimes challenged with some of the methodology, um, but, but then, um, you know, I think the cow is always your, your best measurement. Um, I've been working with cows from south of different particle size and, and I, I, I see very little difference in terms of using a calcium salt of palm oil, palm fatty acids, um, regardless of the particle size that I'm using. Uh, but I think it becomes more important for the omegas. Okay. The last one, which is the recommended level of calcium salt uh, to increase meat yield? The question was about what the level of calcium salt I should have to see a milk response, right? Yes. So, um, if, if you get, um, there's a couple years ago, a, a meta-analysis that was published with calcium salts of palm fatty acids, um, and they they saw, uh, they saw, you know, there was a variable response. I think the average was about 2% of the dry matter that they include that was increasing milk yield on that meta-analysis. Um, I think I think the first factor to determine if you're going to see response or not is the profile, right? Is understanding um, what are the fatty acids in that calcium salt or that material that, that you're using. Uh, but we, for example, with calcium salts found combined with some some other fatty acids, um, we see good responses using uh, between half a between half a percent to one percent. Uh, on the diet in most of the cases. I think when you start going very, very high levels, and, and that's, that's where people can get a loss sometimes, you know, thinking that you're gonna see more if you feed more, um, you, you may start having some issues depending on the profile on feeding date, right? And that offsets some of the gain that you can have. Um, and a good example is this, is this 630 blend, for example, is, Taking a lake up to 30%, or, or that would be a half a percent on, on a diet dry matter basis, um, has shown very good results. But, but when we try to go over that, um, sometimes we don't see the same response because feed intake drops. So feed intake becomes, becomes important um, as a measurement as well there. Okay, Paula, do you have more questions? Yes, I have. Okay, one. and then I'll have I'll have one or two. Go ahead. Okay. At what age can we start feeding fat? Is it recommended in high first or only when milking? At what age? Yes. Um. So I I, I don't see too much feeding fat. Uh, uh, in heifers, for example, or in growing animals, and I think that has a lot to do with economics. And, and really, I think if you have a well-managed program, um, I think fat becomes expensive for you. I think there's other ways you can achieve targets of body weight gain without using you without using supplemental fat. Uh, then I think supplemental fat becomes more as a tool for you uh, in terms of managing lactation and pre-lactation production. So uh, that is important. That, that is difference as well in first lactations versus older cows. Uh, in terms of some of the profile that we use, 
um, and that's important as well. Usually the response to fat, um, so first lactations, they usually respond less in milk, but we usually see growth, um, a faster growth on the, those cows if they gain weight. Um, and that's, that doesn't seem to be the same response in multiparous cows, you know, depending on the profile you use, of course. Um, but, but that's important because, because if you only measure milk and milk components and you don't value some of these other factors that you have, you have to consider some of these other metabolic effects. But if, you, if you're purchasing production, I'd say multiparous cows respond better. And I would focus on lactation in terms of stuff. Mental fat. Okay, th thank you. Um, I have a question from Alberto. If palm oil is supplemented, um, no protected palm oil, would you expect a different res response of supplementation with a base diet of 2% fat level? Uh, it cuts a little bit to your question. Can you just yeah, yeah, let me try that again. Um, if palm oil is supplemented, um, I think he means not protected palm oil, would uh -huh. you expect a different response um, to supplementation with a base diet of 2% fat level? Yeah, so, so palm oil, if you get the profile of palm oil, right, uh, you have about 45% of palmitic acid, um, and then you have some, some, some stearic acid there, but the profile is about 50-50 in terms of saturated and unsaturated fatty acids, right? So uh, if you are only feeding the crude oil without the protection, what my concern becomes that uh, mostly of that unsaturated fatty acids and oleic acid that the palm oil has will be biohydrogenated, and, and, and you lose some of the benefits of some specific fatty acids. So I don't think it's the same response using crude palm oil than, 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 than using um, a supplement that's protected or, or that adds some type of, of, of protection on that. Um, of course, if you're not going, you know, you have to, to, to trace what other fatty acids you have on the diet, what your rufo levels are, um, and then you can take that and cost, of course, and take that decision. But if you want to take advantage of the oleic acid, for example, that you have in the palm oil, it would be better if it's in a protected form than, than um, in the free oil. Okay, thank you. Um, Paula, take it away. Keep yes, going. okay. <laughs> in the case we could add glucose or another woman protected sugar that gets into the gut, can it improve the effect of the palmitic plus oleic Acid supplementation. Um, that's 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 an interesting question. Um, so my challenge would be if if you look back to some other not not in dairy but in research that was done with, uh, with steers in the past, and you know you're changing uh, corn processing, for example, and you try to increase uh, glucose in the small intestine, right? Um, what becomes happening is that glucose is mainly used um, on the mental fat that you have in the intestine, right? Um, so I'm not really sure if that would add any, any benefit um, because the, the fat of oleic acid mainly uh, in combination with palmitic, it seems to be specifically in some tissues. And, 
and we did, and, and the, the good example is, is this work that has been done at MSU looking to adipose tissues. So measuring what's the response on, on tissue specific. So I, I, I really don't think that, that you know, they complement each other. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and you know, there's some research opportunity to do that. But I, I think that the effect that oleic acid has, uh, has not directly to do with carbohydrate metabolism. Uh, it has to do to specific effects on tissues and insulin sensitivity of those tissues. So if the adipose tissue become less resistant to the action of the insulin, then usually you improve lipogenesis, you reduce lipolysis, you reduce that, that pool of, of uh, fatty acids that would, be, um, that would be mobilized when you have lactation. And that's what we think that, that helps with feed intake on those cows. You know, if you have a, a lower pool of NIFA, you know, the liver um, uh, function, uh, of course, better, you know, the, the, and that's usually, uh, that probably results in a better um, uh, feed intake. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the effect of the lake with pomatic is more uh, tissue specific and not in the gut. Okay. Do you think is it better a uh, glycogenic or lipogenic diet for uh, to have a better reproduction during freshening? Uh, glycogenic or lipogenic diet. So I I don't think we have to go to the to the extremes, right? And and when you see some of these trials that they do lipogenic diets uh, versus glucogenics, if you see the example that I gave. You know, in the lipogenic diet, you have 10% of starch. You know, it wouldn't feed this, that level of starch, a low level of starch for, for early lactation cows, right? Um, I think there is some, some nice work in terms of starch levels um, looking, you know, if you look to some, some of uh, Dr. Roba, recent research, Dr. Mike Allen, um, looking to that starch level and starch fermentability and how that regulates feed intake, which is important. So I would say, uh, while we can combine the approach, you know, feed a moderate uh, level of starch in the right profile of fatty acids, that's probably a better combination than going to the extreme of feeding, you know, a very high starch diet or a very high fat diet. So trying to work on that middle, I think, I think, and taking advantage of the fatty acids and starch uh, together is better than, than than going to lipogenics versus glucogenics. Great, Jonas. And the last question from here, could we replace oleic acid by linoleic acid having the same effect? Um, that's, that's a good question. We don't, we don't, um, we haven't done research with that. And I, I think they, if you look back to the literature, I don't think so. I don't think they have the same effect. Um, you know, linoleic acid is the major fatty acid that the cow will usually has as a will in, the intake of the major fatty acids usually linoleic acid, right? And, and higher levels of linoleic acid in the rumen, if they are unprotected, uh, they can generate you some problems. Um, oleic acid as well at the higher levels unprotected in the rumen, they, they also may also have some negative effects. But um, I think the effects are specific regarding the oleic. And, and if you go to the human literature, you're gonna see some support to that. Um, that the lake has, lake is an omega 
nine fatty acids, you know, you have, you have uh, some benefits of that. So I think it's a specific, um, they, this, this specific effects on insulin and the benefit of that um, is specific to lake acid. And I don't think you're gonna see the same response in lake. Paula, did you mean to clarify something? Yes. Go ahead. No, uh, the Ariel meant protected uh, fatty acids. Oh, he meant protected fatty acids. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, you know, uh, I, I think I think they are not the same metabolically. So, um, if you get a source for lake acid, for example, and you get a source for linoleic uh, soybean oil, for example they don't have the same metabolic effect. And, and that specifically, I think, is, the, the, is to the profile. So we do see some responses with folic acid that we don't with linoleic. Um, and specifically, this action that I show uh, on insulin and, and, and complementing that, if you go back to some of the human literature, um, they already have, you know, we already have supporting mechanisms for why this happened with the lake, but it doesn't seem to happen with other fatty acids. So, yeah, even if, you, if you're feeding protected um, in a salt, for example, um, the metabolic effect is not the same. Okay, okay. Paula, it Thank looks like much. maybe, yeah, it looks like you've come to the end of your questions. Yes, <laughs> a lot of questions, many, many questions. Yeah, this was terrific. Yeah, and, and we had so many good panelists joining. Um, unfortunately, Marcelo kept sending me videos of how much it was raining in Brazil. So, Jonas, maybe the snow is better? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. I, no. <laughs> Where are you, Jonas? I, I am home. I live in Utah. Yeah. Oh, so no snow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we, we got some snow in the night. Um, we, we, we are in defrosting mode now, but, you know, it's been six years in the U.S. and I still, still haven't figured out the snow yet. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's possible to figure out the snow if you're from Brazil. No. <laughs> okay. Paula, thank you for joining. Um, Sean, thank you. Thank you. And... Um, uh, Jonas, I'm going to send you a quick email when we get off, and thank you everybody who are still there. Um, I will send you an email. We hope to see everybody back next month in March. So um, thanks everybody, and, and have a good night. Yeah, I would like just to thank everyone, and you guys, I, I will make my, my slides available. That is my email there if someone wants to discuss further. Yes, I'll put, um, I'll put your email in the outgoing letter as well. So do you want me to put both in? Yeah. Very good. Okay. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Jonas. And thank you, everybody who joined us. Um, without any other questions, I'll say goodbye.